This parak has gone quite sidetracked to discuss the laws of a king, and this final Mishnah of the parak discusses certain prohibitions which apply to the people in order to maintain the respect and the awe which they are supposed to have towards the king. In it is forbidden to ride on the king's horse. And it's forbidden to sit on his throne. And it is forbidden to use his scepter, which is the sort of stick which a king would have. And he would point it towards a person to allow them to speak if they approach him, like we find with Esther. And the truth is, anything which belongs to the king and only he uses is forbidden for anybody else to use. And this even applies after the king dies, to the extent that once he dies, all of his possessions are burnt so that nobody will benefit from his possessions. But of course, the throne and the scepter, etc., will be passed on to the next king. Another king is able to benefit from the previous king's possessions. All right, continues the mission of Enronisikshumstapair. It is forbidden for other people to see him while he is having a haircut. He doesn't look very respectable during that time. Neither when he is unclothed. And not when he is in a bathhouse. He can't go to a public bathhouse where there are other people. Even if he still has his clothes on there, the very fact that he is found there with all of the other people who aren't necessarily clothed, that reduces and diminishes the amount of respect which they will have towards him. And we learn all of these laws from the Pasuk Shinema, as the Pasuk says, You shall surely place upon yourself a king. From this double expression of Soim Tosim, we learn that his awe, the awe of the king, should be placed upon you, not just the king himself should rule over you, but that you also need to show an amount of awe towards him. As we learnt in the first Perek, in the beginning of the Sechta, monetary laws require a basin of three judges. Now, anybody is able to take someone else if he has a claim, a monetary claim against somebody else. He is able to take him to the local basin. If there is a basin of that town, then he can force the other person to come to that basin, and the basin will judge their case. But what happens if there's no local basin which is fixed in that area which everybody uses? So in that case, he can't necessarily set up a basin himself and force the other person to come to his basin which he set up. Rather, Zeber lo echad, this one, the one who is making the claim, will call him Ruvain. He chooses one judge to be part of the basin, Zeber lo echad, and the defendant will call him Shimon. He chooses another judge. And both of them between Ruven and Shimon, they would choose the third judge. Now, although they are choosing the third judge, the other two judges who have already been chosen need to agree and accept the third judge. But the choice is made by Ruven and Shimon together. The two judges who have already been chosen, they are the ones to find the third judge. And they choose them. They don't need the Ruven and Shimon to go and find the judges, the third judge. Now, the reason for all of these choices being made in this way is so that they'll be willing to accept the verdict at the end. So we show that there's a judge who you chose, so he'll certainly make sure to find all of the points in your favour, etc. And this way, they'll both they will both be willing to accept the verdict at the end once it is made. Alright, it says the This one, Ruvain, is able to invalidate the judge which Shimon chooses, and Shimon is able to invalidate the judge which Reuven chooses. We're talking about a case where the judge which he chose is not a big Tam who is an expert judge. 
However, people would use him as a judge very often. So he was accepted as general as a judge. So according to mayor, if the judge which Shimon chooses is such a person, then Ruvin can turn around and say, I don't accept him. You need to choose a Talmud Chacham who is an expert judge to judge the case. Remember what the Chacham say? Amosai, when is it true that one of them is able to invalidate and not accept the judge chosen by the other person? That's only with Manshmevi Aleim Raya in a case where he brings a proof regarding them, Shane Kravin, that they are related to one of them, either Reuven and Shimon or one of the other judges, or Pasulin, or that they are invalid judges because of certain Averis which they committed, which we'll see in a couple of Mishnah's time, invalidate somebody from being a judge. If you can prove that they are actually halakhically invalid judges, then it can invalidate them. However, if they were valid judges or experts, and we're going to understand that we're talking of people who at least have been accepted by people as judges, even if they are not become chachomim, people would still use them as a judge. In that case, in Yochelofoslan, he is not able to invalidate them, and if that was the judge chosen by the other person, he needs to accept that. In addition, says the Mishnah, each one is able to invalidate the witnesses which the other person brings to the case to testify, meaning he can claim that the witnesses are invalid witnesses. For example, they are related to somebody involved in the case, or they've committed certain avirus. Now, it's not enough that he does that. If that was the case, then obviously there would be no way of anybody testifying against anyone else. The defendant will always just say that they're invalid witnesses. He needs to come with another additional witness. Him and somebody else will testify that the witness which the other party is bringing is an invalid witness. Now, in general, one is not able to testify about a case which he has bias towards. So he should certainly not be a valid witness to testify against the other witness. But we are going to understand that we're talking about a case, even according to Meir, we're talking about a case where he testifies that the witness is invalid because of something which affects his entire family. For example, if he says that that witness is descended from non-Jewish slaves, if that is really true, then his entire family, the witness's entire family, would become invalid witnesses. And because it's affecting the entire family and not this particular witness, we view it as not being a, a testimony regarding this specific case. Rather, he's invalidating that entire family, and therefore, Contramera will be valid. That's not true, it's still considered to be affecting this case. And Amosai, when is he able to invalidate the testimony of the witnesses which the other person is bringing? That is only because in a situation where he brings a proof, he brings other witnesses to testify against the witnesses which Ruin is bringing, that they are relatives or they're invalid witnesses for a different reason. But if they were valid witnesses, in Yochelofoslan, he's not able to invalidate them. And either way, his testimony regarding the other witnesses is not believed. He would have to bring a proof from elsewhere that those witnesses are invalid. Mishnah base. This Mishnah comes to show us that even though there are certain people who are invalid to be a judge, if both parties involved in the case agree to accept him as a judge, then they can do so, and he can judge the case. And if they really make an agreement about this, then the verdict would be binding. Since this is a monetary case, in monetary law, they are able to make an agreement in whatever way they like. Even if technically speaking, he should be an invalid judge, when it comes to a monetary case, they can accept even an invalid judge. Oh my lord, if one of the members in the case, let's say Shimon says to Ruvain, 
My father is trustworthy to be the judge. If you agree, or your father is trustworthy upon me. I accept him as a judge, even though he's really invalid because he's related to one of us. Nevertheless, I accept it. Or Three shepherds are believed. I trust them and I accept them as judges. Meir says, He is able to retract from this agreement. Even once the verdict has been given, according to Meir, he is able to back out and say that it's not a valid verdict. It wasn't a valid judge who made it, and therefore I don't accept the, the, the verdict. Since he didn't bind himself to this agreement with any official act, he just said that he accepts it. That doesn't bind him to it. Only if you, if you were to perform a particular act of acquisition together with the agreement in order to make it halakhically official, only then would he be bound to this. But since all he did was just say something that does not obligate him, however, say, once the verdict has been given in Yochalachzabai, he is not able to retract and he must accept the verdict which is made by those judges. There are those who explain that even according to the Chachomim, this is only true if he stated in front of a Beistin that he accepts that particular judge. But the simple reading of the Mishnah implies that any time that he just even agreed and accepted that judge, he would be bound to their decision. Now, the second half of the Mishnah brings a similar example. If somebody was obligated to make an oath to somebody else, we're talking about a case where, based on the claim, the law is that the one making the claim, let's say Ruvain claims that Shimon owes him money, and for whatever reason, the law is that if Ruvain swears that really Shimon does owe him the money, then Ruvain can collect that money. And Shimon says to Ruvain, although strictly speaking you need to swear in a basin where they make a bigger deal about it, and it's more scary as it were, to swear then is much more likely to tell the truth in that case. But Shimon says, I don't mind, make a vow to me, swear to me by your life. Outside of basin, we don't need to go to basin. I'll accept it even if you swear now, then you can take the money. Rabbi Meir says, He's able to go back on his word, meaning he can still force him to come to Basin and make the oath over there. say, Once he made the oath outside of Basin, based on Shimon's agreement, he's not able to retract, and Shimon would be, and Reuben would be able to take the money as soon as he makes that oath, even outside of Basin. Mishnah Gimel, we've been mentioning over the past couple of Mishnayas, invalid witnesses. What makes a witness invalid? So we've seen that if they are related to somebody involved in the case, they're invalid. And that's the invalidation of Kroivim. In addition to that, women and non-Jewish slaves are invalid witnesses, Midoraisa. And the Torah also says that a Rosha is an invalid witness, Midoraisa. Now what comes under the category of a Rosha? So it's learned from Pesukim that anybody who has violated a prohibition, which is punishable by a death penalty in Basin or by Malchus, lashes, if he hasn't yet received those Malchus, he is considered to be a Rasha, and he would be an invalid witness. In addition to that, a thief, somebody who is halakhically speaking considered to be a thief, is also an invalid witness with Eraisa, even though he's not liable to lashes, that's not a punishment for a thief. He is also invalid midoraisa. This Mishnah discusses the following people are invalid witnesses, and the same goes to be a judge. Midrabonon. First example, one who plays with dice, meaning he gambles, and he doesn't have any other trade. All he does is gamble. So his moral character 
and trustworthiness is considered to be on a relatively low level. He's not involved in any real trade or job, which is productful for the society, and he's not involved in Torah. So his moral status is considered to be on a rel- relatively low level, and he lacks the sense of shame, and therefore he is, n- he is an invalid witness, and anybody who is an invalid witness is also an invalid judge. The Hamal Baribis, one who lends somebody money with interest, even though that is not punishable by lashes, and he's not exactly considered to be a regular thief, since at the end of the day he's violated a big prohibition, he is an invalid witness. Those who race birds, which is also a type of gambling. They would race the birds, whichever bird got to the target quickest would win the money, whatever it may be. And he has the same status as a regular gambler. Those who would do business with Shmita produce once every seven years. There is a Shmita year where it's forbidden to work the land, and there are prohibitions regarding what can be done with the produce which grows during the Shmita year. And for example, it's forbidden to do business with them. So they are violating a prohibition. And according to some, we're talking specifically about a time where Shmitas were Jabonon, for example, nowadays, where the entire prohibition and laws of Shmita is only Mijabonon. Only then would they be invalid Mijabonon, but it could be that during the time where Shmita was Midaraisa, these people would actually be invalid Midaraisa. Or Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon said, but Tchila originally, the Chachomim called this category of people who are invalid to be witnesses or judges Oisvishvies, those who would gather Shmita produce because it became the general custom that the poor people who would be able to collect any produce which grew during Shmita, they had the right to do that. They would end up passing on that produce to other people and selling it. And it was similar to doing business with the Shmita produce. And therefore, the Chachon invalidated even these people. However, Mishrabu Nosim, when the people who oppressed the Jewish people increased, and people were forced to pay large taxes, so the Chachomim permitted people to collect the Shmita produce and to sell it on in order to be able to pay the taxes. And so Chosid Kreson, they went back to call, they, they changed the name of this category of invalidation to be those who do business with Shmita produce. So this doesn't refer to the poor people who are collecting it and just selling it on to a couple of people, but it refers to people who really do real business with the Shmita produce, and that was certainly forbidden even in order to pay the taxes. Omar Bihuda, Bihuda says, Amosai, when is it, and Rabbi Huda is referring to the case of gambling, when is it that somebody who gambles is an invalid witness? Only in a case where they have no other trade other than gambling. But if they have another trade, another job, which they occupy themselves with, and on the side they also gamble. So since they are still part of the society and doing things which are productful for the society, their moral status is considered to be on a sufficient level and therefore kosherin, they would indeed be valid witnesses and judges.